This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is Walter Koenig, Chekhov from Star Trek, and you're listening to Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Ken Tripp. And I am Zach Moore. And I am Haley Stoddart. And today we'll be discussing three stories that were pitched during the original run of Star Trek. This is part three of the series we've been discussing on Standard Orbit. That's right. And Haley, it's your first time joining us here for one of our Lost episodes, The Lost Episodes Part 3. You know, like as we had explained earlier, we're, gonna, we're talking about three episodes, uh, Lost episodes here. And, you know, TOS does everything in threes, right? You get three seasons, you get... Six movies, which you can divide into three. Uh, <laughs> you got the big three. You got Kirk, Spock, McCoy. And now... You really had we, to work at that one, man. Uh, yeah, it took me a second. I had to take a shot and a pause there. Think about it. But now... The, the, re- the reboots qualify. <laughs> yes, that's true. We have three reboot films. Good job. And now we have three on Standard Orbit. Got me, Ken, and Haley. So we, we, we've covered our bases. Um, three bases, like baseball. I'm done with the three thing. But we are going to be talking about three episodes of the original series that didn't come to pass. Uh the first one we'll be talking about today is Portrait in Black and White. And this is a script written by Barry Trivers in 1966. It was actually part of uh, going back to Gene Roddenberry's original concept for Star Trek. It was a story concept called Congo. And it was uh, basically about a planet where uh, if you just take you know, Confederate America and switch the races... Uh, so uh, the Caucasian people would be the slaves, and the darker-skinned people would be the masters. And that's, you know, does it take the allegory too far? We can delve into it. But basically, it, w- it was going to be focused on Uhura and McCoy as the script got developed. And the character, obviously, Uhura and McCoy weren't thought of back in, you know, before Star Trek, because they were actually added after the second pilot for the series proper. But it was going to highlight Nichelle Nichols and DeForest Kelly. And DeForest Kelly has, has said this is something that he really wanted to see. His quote was, uh, it was something where the two of us were thrown onto a planet where there was a great racial problem only reversed. The fact that I am a Southerner and she is black, that we're trapped on this planet together. So DeForest Kelly would like to see it. Obviously, it would have been, it, you know, not many episodes highlight McCoy straight up and no episodes highlight Uhura. So this would really been a big episode for her. 
Robert Justman had some heavy objections about it being too violent. Uh, I, you know, I can imagine. So, I mean, if you want to get the point across about the, you know, masters and slaves, it's not pretty, right? Don't don't put the rose colored glasses on talking about history. So, I understand they would want to get the point across, but there are also other concepts about you know breeding farms that would be inappropriate for you know broadcast television, especially uh, in the '60s. Roddenberry was very fond of it because you know he saw it kind of like Thomas Swift, Gulliver's Travels deal. It's it's allegory, right? That's what Star Trek was all about. But um, ultimately, uh, Stan Robertson from NBC, his name comes up a lot when you when you look at these uh, canceled scripts and story concepts. Uh, he said, "quote We believe that this story does not fit into the Star Trek concept." So, uh, I mean, it, it, it kind of does. In my opinion, it does fit into the concept, but it just I feel like it's too on the nose. And even though it was rejected, Roddenberry kept working at it. He got Gene Kuhn, he got DC Fontana, you know, to, to keep hacking away at this thing and try to make it work. But it just they could not find the story. So, uh, and I understand why, because it's, it's, it's a tough subject to tackle, do it justice, and not feel like it's bonk, bonk on the head. Uh, and, and there you have it. I'll, and then one last note, uh, and then we can kind of jump into our discussion here. Uh, th- this script did not turn into Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. Uh, some books like the Star Trek, The Real Story, uh, mentioned that. And I could see why if you just were looking at the names of the episodes, you would like, oh, Portrait in Black and White. Oh, obviously, that became this episode. That was not the case. Uh, now, that episode, some people say it's bonk bonk on the head, and it kind of is. But I feel like that episode handled this topic of racial relations much better than this would have so there you have it guys what are your thoughts on this story concept and how it could have been executed in the 60s on the original series you know i thought it was really interesting and i i think i would have liked to have seen it there's you know, back then i can see what the problems would have been showing that on television i mean it's pretty pretty harsh but at the same time, I think that would have been a really fascinating discussion. I think it would have created a lot of discussion among the fans. And uh, But on the other hand, it would have kept that story going at a time when we had so much prevalence already with civil rights movement and, you know, coming onto the scene and stuff like that. Uh, but I think it's, it's interesting. Yeah, I, I agree with both of you. I think it's... Uh... It, it's it's on the nose. It's also interesting. Its timing would have been unique. It really if if people want to talk about Star Trek being game changer, this would have been a game changer. I think they would have had trouble with this even in the next generation. To be honest with you, just the way it twists and turns. I mean, we didn't we got roots in the uh, the the late to mid seventies. That was obviously you know one of the more powerful and that obviously that's a true story so there's a little bit of difference here but i think tackling it in this way would have been i i think you know there there was a time frame i I wish i could remember if it was late 60s early 70s when i was a kid there was a study done Haley, you might know about this just from your studies in sociology that um a school teacher did an experiment with kids and the school teacher segregated at different times kids that had different color eyes, right? And they, it was, it was an amazing study. It's probably out there on YouTube. And it quickly showed how, you know, if they said the brown-eyed kids can sit up front and have a longer recess and all this other stuff, and the blue-eyed kids can't have this or can't have that, and the change in behavior in those children was instant, how they started to tease the blue-eyed kids or, the you know, whatever color, and, and how it radically kind of changed the viewpoints of things and showed just how, you know, especially children, 
react when there is that uh, that segregation and people are thought to be of a lesser. And I think the switch from black to white at a time, as you said, Haley, during the civil rights movement would have been fascinating to see. It, it would have been, I don't know if they needed to have things like, uh, you know, breeding farms and th- those are the things I think you could knock out. J- mm-hmm. Just because that that would go probably a two step beyond where you'd want to be in the, in the mid '60s, but just that concept of loan of turning the tide a little bit instead of um, you know let that be your last battlefield where yeah white on one side black on the other I get that but this at that time would have been kind of saying hey we're all human right and it wasn't so clear I mean it was clear we were all human back then <laughs> but it wasn't so clear as to equality and and you know that. You know, just through the oddities of history or, or, or a turn here or a twist there, it could have easily been the other way around. You just don't know. So I think that premise alone would have been great to see. On top of just bringing it back into Star Trek, love to see a McCoy a horror story on their own. That would have been phenomenal. Yeah, you talk about the Earth what ifs. The, again, this would have saved them a lot of money in the you know prop department, set department. They would just go find some you know, old Southern plantation set or something like that, you know, in Hollywood and the costume department, bring out the old, you know, the gone with the wind costumes or, you know, whatever they have in the closet. Uh, So I'm sure that appealed to them from a production standpoint. Uh, This would have been another, you know, um, alternate earth, even though it's not really an alternate earth, you know, to go on the, it's the Roman planet, the Civil War planet, right? This, this is what that would be. Uh, but yeah, that's, I don't, now that I really think about it, I don't think McCoy and Uhura had like any, like notable interaction <laughs> across the entire Star Trek. Can you guys think of any that that I'm missing? Because you know, when you hear about these, it's 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 cool to think about characters. You you put these characters together that wouldn't necessarily be together. Like in um, Beyond, right? You had Kirk and Chekhov. And you're like you don't really think about them doing stuff together beyond some adventure. But they they played great off each other. The actors, the characters, and you know, Nichelle Nichols and DeForest Kelly. You know that they are great actors who are underserved. Uh, especially Nichelle Nichols, you know, over the course of the show and the movies. And it would be great to see, just to see them as actors get stuff to do together. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, one last point that this episode did make me think of was Code of Honor in Next Generation. Because if you, you know, in Star Trek, you go to these different planets, right? And everybody's the same, right? It's just a generic, you know, white planet, right? If you like, especially in the original series where the aliens were just humans, right? And yes, I think it's, it's, why don't we switch it around a little bit, right? And see, like, okay, well, this planet is of darker complexion, right? I mean, because that's a thing that that you know, <laughs> that's that's the the universe has infinite uh, possibilities combinations. So, I just you know, Code of Honor is like Exhibit A on how not to do that because <laughs> it was like nineteen <laughs> thirties, like tribal Africa, white man's burden stuff going on there, which was very uncomfortable and just just does not date very well now or then, <laughs> but. Um, it would have been good to see that. I wish they could have done it at some point in Star Trek without all the racial undertones and overtones. I'm not sure which terminology would be more appropriate here. Of course, it was like a race episode that they go to the planet where they're, you know, where's, you know, black people, right? I mean, like, can we not just go to just a planet and everybody has dark complexion and it's just, it's not a thing? <laughs> you know, it's not mentioned. It's just, it's something, it's not like a crux of the story, right? That would have been, I think that would have been true progress. And when it's not even like, oh, well, since we're going to this planet, we have to talk about race. That's the whole point of the whole story. Uh, it serves the story well, but I don't think that's a precedent or prerequisite to have a story like this. So. Yeah, I think alien diversity really didn't show itself, Zach, until Star Trek Three, right? When you saw Asian Vulcans, that was it. And then from there, 
the Vulcans were allowed to change. Uh, the Klingons, to a degree, obviously had different um, skin color and different shapes. But all the other aliens, you know, if you're an Andorian, you're blue. <laughs> That's it, you know. <laughs> And whatever else, and you know, Bajor, same thing. Same, it's, everybody's the same color, just different ridges on the nose. So I, I think you make a good point there. It, it would be nice to see kind of things spread out like that. Uh, but I, I, um, I, I don't know. The more I read about this, this would have been, I mean, at its time, probably the most controversial Star Trek episode. It probably still would be today for for just going in that direction. All right, moving on to our next episode, guys. All right, so the next one, uh, sister in or sister or sisters in space. Uh, confusing title, I think. Reading this about this episode, I don't get where they're getting that. But uh, so it was outlined uh, by Robert Sheckley. So the Enterprise discovers a long lost Starfleet vessel, the USS Yorktown, dead in space. Of course, Kirk and oddly Scotty, Sulu and Rand. Really, that's kind of interesting. A few red shirts. Cause you always got to have those beam aboard and discover the unknown and lethal alien creature creature killed the Yorktown crew uh, attacks this creature attacks one of the red shirts rips him limb from limb sounds kind of familiar I wonder where they got that uh, aside from its enormous strength alien monster it's a chameleon so kind of can blend into the background uh, which knowing about chameleons that's not gonna happen uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can still see you right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the outline, uh, which uh, almost gave Robert Justman a heart attack, uh, deemed too expensive, kind of seems similar to Alien and Predator. Um, so kind of horror slash, which we never got really. I don't think we really got anything that was super scary. Until well, they the tried. They tried with stuff like Cat's Paw, <laughs> but that was that not was, That scary. was not scary. <laughs> um, so I think that, I mean, this on the concept, this sounds like a very interesting episode because, you know, it's, it would be Alien before Alien, right? Alien was 1979, and this is, you know, 1966. So you could have this haunted house on a spaceship, right? That's what Alien is. That's what this would be. Uh, you mentioned the title Sister in Space. I took it to being, you know, it's a sister ship, right? It's another Constitution class ship, uh, which I always love seeing. And of course, when the Enterprise comes across them, they're always in bad shape. <laughs> they're always something terrible has always happened. They don't just come across another one. And it's all great. This is, it's either tragedy has happened or it's fixing to happen or, <laughs> yeah. or whatever. But uh, I, I think, you know, it, had they executed it well, this would have been very, you know, intense episode. But again, the, you look at episode like Cat's Paw, which I'm sure they and thought, oh man, this is going to be really scary. <laughs> and it wasn't so uh, 1960s production values. I don't know if it would ha have held up. And you know, and you mentioned Rand. Yeah, I mean, this was an early script uh, submission, and she, you know, she was a main character back then. You know, she's a, you know, go look at those early promo photos. It's Kirk, Spock, and Rand. <laughs> you know, so they were uh, obviously writing. They probably sent them like you know some pictures of who the crew is. Like, oh, that girl. Yeah, put her on the put her on the away team too. Um, and then I don't, I don't know how we'd see people get ripped apart. You know, 1960s uh, television. We probably just see like a tattered uniform. And they wouldn't like cut to what they like. Oh my God, Jim, look at this! <laughs> That's all you would see. Yeah, this this sounds this sounds really cool. And and I, I I don't know how they would end up defeating it. I'm sure they would use some classic, you know, Star Trek, you know, techno babble or something to to, to save the day. At the end, Scotty would come up with some last minute solution and flip a switch or. Or something like that. Maybe like at the end of you know Alien, where they I keep going back to Alien, they blow out an airlock or something. But uh, but yeah, I, I I would definitely be uh, very interested to to see what they would have done with a concept like this because you know 
it's not something you saw all the time. I mean, Devil in the Dark, I guess, would be maybe the closest thing I could think of, like something lurking in the shadows. And and since they said it's a chameleon, a very clever way to uh, not have to, you know, show it. I I I wonder if we'd even see it at all. Like like you know, like in uh, Forbidden Planet, they they like have the uh, I think the krill monster is what it is, but you never see it; it's just invisible, you know. And I wonder if you would like you'd see a footprint or a gash or something like that. But uh, in the interest of special effects, and frankly, probably for the best of the episode, <laughs> knowing their budget, maybe just leave it to your imagination what it what it really looks like. But yeah, that, that this sounds like a pretty interesting one. I wish they did it. I, I was saying off mic that you know the closest Star Trek really got into kind of horror was First Contact, and it wasn't really hard, but it was scary. That was tense. You know, going through the ship with the uh, the lasers and kind of the steam, it just had a very unique you know feel to it, a very creepy feel to it. I don't know if they could have pulled it off in TOS, to be honest with you, just because of the lighting and everything being bright, and it really would have had to have an appearance that was very different for the show. However, I think it would have been great to see. I I, I wish they could have pulled it off. I'm struggling a little bit on why they said it would be too expensive. It just doesn't make much sense to me. It's just, it's the same ship. It's the same passageways. <laughs> <No point. laughs> yeah, I, I really don't know what, what, what effects they're talking about would be so um, so scary. And I'm glad you said you have Sister an invisible, in Space. You have an invisible or, alien on the same ship. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, what, I, hello? Yeah, going? I, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't get why we, yeah, yeah, uh, who knows. But when you, uh, <laughs> I'm glad you said sister ship in space because I couldn't make the connection, Zach. I don't know. It's obvious when you said it. I'm sitting there going, mm-hmm. duh. <laughs> but yeah, that makes sense. Sister in space. That, that has, I, I feel like they would have retitled it at some point. Yeah, I think the retitle yeah, would have been so. a little bit better because it doesn't get to the premise. I mean, a sister in space, I mean, that could be any, you know, any other Constitution class with any other kind of story. I think a retitle would have gave it that foreboding when you saw it on screen you'd be like you know this is scary like for me night terrors when i hear that title yeah that episode still scares me (laughs) to this day anyway i think we're all agreed on this one this would be a kind of a fun one to have made it and i would love to see a kind of a star trek scary movie type thing not you know not kirk versus predator or something but i i would like to see Something like that, something that really, really could, you know, give us some jumps and stuff. I mean, if if they're going to go with a um, Tarantino-type movie, which means it, it could be very gritty, it could be a lot of things, I'd almost rather them go into a direction where it was more scary and tense and kept you at the edge of its seat rather than I would, you know, like edgy and on the uh, the bounds of taste. That That's my own personal opinion. I, I'd like to see what Tarantino could do with it. Maybe it's a very different concept, but... That would be a direction I'd like to see. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, I think about, I'm trying to think about other situations in Star Trek like this. Uh, you mentioned First Contact was a good call. I think about Impact Nor, the episode Deep Space Nine, where they go to the, the sister station. There you go, sisters in space. Uh, and it's actually, you know, I think about it, it'd be very, it'd be similar to this. I wonder if somebody like looked at this when they wrote that script, but they go to another station, it's all like abandoned and stuff. And then there's uh, like Cardassians that were in suspended animation that come out and start, or at least, at least one. I don't know if there's more than one. I, it's been a while since I've seen that episode. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. There's one guy, but that, that same gas like affects Garrick yeah. and then he starts going mm-hmm. crazy, right? And then I think there's a green shirt or whatever, you, whatever we call those guys in the next gen era, he gets killed and then uh, stalks Nog and all that stuff. So, that's that's the closest I can think of 
something like that with characters that we know like stuck like isolation would be the key like they would have to be to make this work like they have to be isolated from the enterprise somehow like the shields or because it's like why don't we just beam them back <laughs> you know i mean it's so simple um <laughs> yeah, that's true. but there, there have to be some kind of contrivance like that to, to keep them there but uh but yeah that's I, I would i would like to see it would be something different for sure and we get to spend time on the ship because that's the, that's the thing that that gets under you underutilized in, in the movies is, is the ship there unless they're blowing it up the ship really doesn't serve as big as a purpose or it's not working like that's always the thing right it's like motion picture we're spending a lot of time but we have to get it ready it's not ready yet or star trek 5 it's falling apart or you know three and then generations and beyond it's, blow, it's blowing it up you know and other than that it's just a just a like a like, it's like an uber in space <laughs> like that's all it is in these other movies let's spend some time on it you know get to get to show off the ship and these cool sets and all this like give it some budget this this would be cool to see yeah i definitely agree and and you go to that point i think you know ken pointed out he doesn't understand why it would be too expensive and i agree with that i mean if they had made it something where it was just a shadow of something that you saw or it was you know just something small from this chameleon like creature that would have been scary enough and it wouldn't have been a whole big of a budget the whole chameleon it blending in and looking like the ship it just i worked at a pet store and everyone's like oh chameleons can turn purple and all these fun colors and it's like no they can't (laughs) (laughs) it works because they're green and they live in a forest that's (laughs) why green brown and black and that's it (laughs) there's no purple or yellow but I think it would have been really neat to have definitely. You weren't. Seen... Uh, I, I bet you didn't make your quota a lot in sales, being that honest with people. <laughs> sure, it can be any color you want. Fifty <laughs> bucks, please. Chameleons are actually kind of cranky, so we didn't really sell much of them. <laughs> cranky chameleons. Okay. Yeah. Who knew? I know, right? <laughs> okay. Well, you can be the technical writer on Star Trek when it comes to alien creatures, because they use chameleon as an ex- as a. Um, I guess as a, as a description all the time, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. Are we done with Sister in Space? Yes. Okay. We're done. All right. So now we move to the web of death. I like that. This was uh, an undeveloped story. This this came from William Shatner. Now this is really interesting. Before Star Trek Five, I had never heard that he had proposed a story. The most I had heard is that he had offered, along with Leonard Nimoy, to help rewrite the ending of Star Trek The Motion Picture. But, you know, it, it, back in the original series, I just thought he, he showed up to, to do his thing. So th- this is kind of interesting. So this concept is the Enterprise finds its sister ship. I don't... Is this momentous? I guess it's momentous. The USS Momentous. What a weird name. Is it is it better than the Vengeance, Ken? Do you like that name better? The, the Vengeance? Oh, God. It's much better than the name. USS Vengeance. Evil. Yes. <laughs> The USS really bad ship doing bad things. (laughs) (laughs) Near the planet, this is actually kind of a funny name too, Urus 3. U-R-U-S 3. So he likes the number 3. We like the number 3, Nimbus 3, right? There we got it. We got got the theme. We got the 3 in here. Okay. It comes in threes. But uh, this ship, Urus, why? Anyway, um, they find the they ship. Took, they took Uranus and they just took a couple letters out. No, no, that's what I was going. I mean, it was like, yeah. All right, you know, let, let's just play there. So they find the momentous trapped in the cocoon of a giant insect, right? And this creature begins to somehow envelop the Enterprise with uh, the same white substance as they seem, and with no means of escape. Finally, Kirk and the crew manage to distract it. I have no idea how. Maybe with a chameleon and. Um, <laughs> 
they distract it and they you know to attacking the the momentous again rescue its crew and themselves so they they actually find a way out of it and what's funny is i guess a lot of people kind of felt you know shatner being over the top and all this stuff couldn't come up with a a good story I think the interesting thing is that Roddenberry thought this was a pretty good story. It just, uh, it, you know, the, the series budget and special effects. Now, in this case, I could totally understand that this could be yes. a very difficult one to, to pull off. But, yeah, I kind of I like this concept. And, you know, interesting little factoid here that when, you know, before the motion picture came back and Shatner had kind of, you know... Uh, made a couple of pilots for things, you know, Barbary Coast and so forth and so forth. I still remember watching Kingdom of the Spiders where Shatner, God love him, was the star of this movie, TV made for TV movie about these spiders, tons of spiders take over a town. They actually put the whole town in a web. So it was manifest destiny for Kirk to come all for Shatner to come all the way around to suggest this this story outline and then do Kingdom of the Spiders. So I'm guessing that's probably why he signed up to do it. You know, probably like, finally I can do that spider script. I was <laughs> yeah, he's like, hey, I, I came up with this idea 15 years ago or 10 years ago. We we should do this, and I think that his contract with uh, Promise Margarine probably just ended. So probably a good thing he got that 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 role. I don't know. What do you guys think of this? Uh, yeah. I, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you guess. <laughs> it's a little weird. Um, mm-hmm. I do not like spiders at all. Uh, so I, if it had been on, I would have been like, nope, skip. Skip that one. Not watching it. <laughs> well, they don't say specifically a spider, but I think you're right. You know. It's a space spider. Yeah, space spider. It's, Cocoon it's still, of a giant insect. It's Cocoon. still a spider, and it's just okay. a no. <laughs> Uh, it would have been interesting, I think, to see kind of how they would have made the insects start attacking the other ship and not attack the Enterprise so that they could get away. I, it, it, yeah, I think that's kind of missing. I would like to see how they would do that, but I still probably, nope, space spiders, I don't care. It's a spider. Not going to watch it. Nope. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like, well, where did, where did it go? You know, I mean, it's it's there. Like, you know, they should see it there the whole time. Like, you know, how big is it? You know, it starts spinning a web on the next. I mean, is it interdimensional? Like, I don't know. I mean, I, look, I was, it didn't get very far in the process. If they sat down and kind of hash it out, it might have gone somewhere. But, uh, I mean, this was an interesting. Like, Shatner, like, he, he submitted this before the show even started. This is, like, in between the second pilot and the original series. So uh, there's a lot of, you know, uh, the series hadn't been established yet. It's like what Star Trek does every week and whatnot. But I'm sure they would have figured something out if, if they really, you know, hashed it out. But, but yeah, I completely agree. The, the Just the production value alone would have been absurd to, I mean, think about it. If they think if they think the last episode we talked about was like, when you have an invisible <laughs> you have an invisible monster on the same sets is too much. <laughs> what you can do with a giant spider that's like, you know, wrapping a cocoon around both your ships. She, not only is that sets, but that's models too. I mean, it's just, it's the cost would be incalculable. Why, Zach? Why? I mean, think of it. You saw Cat's Paw. You put a little model on a table in a black room and a real tarantula and have it just walk up to the Enterprise. Oh, that's, that's different. I had a, I, I, it's funny. I had a, like a, I had a dream of, like a, with a tarantula in it last night. It creeped me out. So I just I hate I hate spiders and I mean I don't hate I don't hate any animal you know because I oh, I love and appreciate all creation. 
But 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 okay, uh, roaches are the worst because in Texas we have tree roaches and they fly around. That's terror. That's stuff of nightmares, you know. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to scream when they're flying around because they might fly in your mouth. So you got to keep your mouth closed. These are all things you got to think of when you're dealing with insects, people. So wow. Um, okay. Just you, you heard it here first. Life <laughs> lessons from Santa Barbara. <laughs> do when they're flying insects and you don't want them to fly in your mouth. Do not scream. <laughs> Just. <laughs> but yeah, I think you know, you know humans. It's funny, you know. It makes me think of Arena, right? Where Kirk's like, humans have a. Natural revulsion to reptiles. I'm like, do we? Uh, oh, I, yes. It, you know, yes. Do, I mean, I, hey, you worked at a pet store. People bought reptiles all the time. Haley, right? Yeah. Well, and actually, so Kent brought up, I actually, my degree's in psychology, so a little bit different than sociology, but. Oh, sorry. That's okay. Uh, we actually, our ancestors, there are some fears that are innate, and they have been passed down from our humanoid ancestors thousands of years ago because more than likely there were creatures that were larger than we were. So our spiders, most people are afraid of spiders because our ancestors were afraid of spiders. And a reptile fear is almost the same thing. It's genetically encoded in us to be afraid of these things. And so you have to work to overcome them. Um, I definitely did. I'm not a reptile person, but now I totally love snakes and lizards. They're great. Well, Okay, what is uh, with you people? But why why do kids love dinosaurs then? If we're supposed to be afraid of reptiles, because it's not something that's actually real anymore. So I mean, you know, you can see pictures of things and you're not afraid of them, but in person, you are. It's we're genetically wired to be afraid of certain things because our ancestors that that fear has just been passed down through our genetic makeup for so many years. I have an anecdote about that since we're talking about what animals are afraid of. Uh, I was like three, I think, and my parents took me to the museum, and they had a special uh, like exhibit with animatronic dinosaurs. Scared the hell out of me. I'm like, oh my god, it's a T-Rex, it's right there. <laughs> Nobody told me these were extinct. You know, I'm like three, and it's like, come on, people. That I mean, it's just it's a right. I, I just that is one of these early one of my earliest memories is being terrified of this animatronic dinosaur. And I guess to your point, I thought it was real, mm-hmm. so it scared me. Yeah. Uh, had I had I, somebody told me. Sat me down and said, "These are these are fake, you know." But I guess they assume, you know, parents—they don't know. It's the first time for everybody. I get it, but uh, that 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 kind of proves your point. So well done with your psychology. What sociology or psychology? We gotta get this straight. Psychology. Psychology. All right. Yeah. So, so we got, you know, you're you're a new transfer to the crew. We haven't memorized <laughs> your uh, <laughs> your credentials yet. Our apologies. That's okay. But that's mm-hmm. that's some interesting insight there. But yeah, of the, I would definitely be more scared of a giant spider in space. <laughs> Than a giant chameleon <laughs> in space, so uh, that's that's my take between these two episodes for for sure. Well, this was fascinating listening between you two guys. I, uh, <laughs> I was getting into it. I, all I could think of is that uh, you know many years later when you went to see Jurassic Park, they made you wear diapers or depends or something because that would have that that you know indelible fear inside you. so of these of these three episodes guys um if you had to pick one of them to actually have seen the completed episode which one would you pick Haley? which one of these would you like to see more than the other two i'm gonna have to go with the portrait in black and white i think that would have been really really interesting and controversial but it would have generated a lot of conversation which i think would have been really progressive and important yeah, I concur. I think that would have been the, the show to see. I, actually, all three of them would have been kicks just to kind of see what they could do. The last two being more of a 
a lighthearted affair, you know, kind of a scary thing. But when you think of Star Trek and you think of their, you know, strong reputation for being provocative and to take on certain subjects, if, boy, if they could have taken that off, taken this on in the, in the middle of the civil rights movement, man, that would have been powerful. And I think that analogy would have been, would have been very timely, very difficult to get done, but I, I would have loved to have seen it. Yeah, I'm with both of you guys. Portrait in Black and White is a clear favorite here just for the historical significance at the time. Uh, you know, it'd be one of those classic Star Trek morality plays we'd be talking about for, for years. Uh, articles would still be, writ- be written about it today. Uh, you know, getting to see Uhura get a starring role. Also, McCoy would have been great uh, for the actors and the characters. So I think, so by and large, that, that would have been my, my favorite. Uh, and then, you know, if I had to pick a runner-up, you know, I'm ranking all three of them here. I would go with Sisters in Space second because I feel like they could have pulled it off better, you know, with the lack of uh, having to see a monster as opposed to Shatner's uh, Web of Death. Which, by the way, I'm sure they would have come up with a better title than that. <laughs> you know, Port- Portrait in Black and White, it sounds like a classic TOS episode title. It's like, I'm not, I'm not sure what this means, but it sounds important and it sounds interesting, but I like it. <laughs> you know, uh, the the other two are like, eh, we'll, we'll, we'll come up with a better title later. That's just a placeholder. So Web of Death is like an episode of Lost in Space or something, right? Um, but yeah, that's, that's how I'd rank the three. So, so Portrait in Black and White for sure. Mm-hmm. I like that ranking. Portrait Sisters and Web of Death. Yeah, that works. All right. So let's get going. Let's start writing the scripts ourselves. Let's see if we can flush it out. I have no idea. Is fan fiction, how does that work? Well, you just write something and you put it online, Ken. Okay. And that's not. there's no problem with that if you're talking about other people's properties? Well, as long as you're not selling and getting money for it. Oh, okay. I don't know. I don't know what the rules are. I know all the rules thanks to Axanar and all the movie stuff. I don't know <laughs> st- anything about writing. <laughs> Have you, Kaylee, have you ever written No. Fan oh, no. Have you read fan fiction, though? <laughs> no, I haven't, you know? Okay. All right. Yeah. I've never written any. I've read, I used to read a lot of Star Wars fan fiction back in the day when the prequels were coming out. Theforce.net. It was an awesome fan fiction resource. Um, I'll just, there you have it. There's more information <laughs> about my life that you now know. But I, I've never really been in, uh, because, well, Star Trek, there's so much. You know, Star Wars is very limited. You know, as far as like what was official back in the day, but Star Trek, there's so many novels and comics and et cetera, et cetera. You don't need fan fiction because yeah. it's, I mean, I look at all the books as like, well, that's kind of like authorized I know. fan fiction, right? Our viewers can't see it, but I've got a stack of books, and I haven't read them yet. <laughs> <laughs> They're there, but uh, no, yeah, I, I have a full shelf like that too. It's it's tough when you're trying to live life and read and podcast and the struggle is real right yeah well hey you won't get any calls from literary checks in this in the, in the in the short term so get going if you want to get on their show i suppose i i don't know how those guys do it i really don't know how they do it they they read and they read and it's incredible uh, i was you know. excited when i finished my degree because i thought oh now i can read all these books that i want to read yeah no. but <laughs> you had you had time enough at last yeah now I'm she's like, starting yeah, on her autobiography <laughs> Right. Uh, Chapter two, Tales from the Pet Shop. I love it. (laughs) All right. Any final thoughts, folks, on these three lost episodes of the original series? You know, the the last one kind of makes me think a little bit of Tholian Web, and I wonder if maybe they would have kind of made it like the web in space a little kind of like how they did the Tholian Web. I don't know. That was a thought I had. 
That would be preferable. Yeah, that's a good thought. I, some kind of energy web as opposed to just like, you know, oh, look, it's 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 like you go to some cheap haunted house and there's white fluff all around the Enterprise. <laughs> I definitely wish they would have done that. Uh, that's a good call, too. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, you, you say that, right? They had a, a sister ship. They had a web. They had no money. It was season three, and they pulled it off. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree. That's uh, even if you did these as uh, comic books or something, you know. I mean, I don't know what all the rights issues are for that kind of stuff because it, you know, just who owns this now? CVS, Viacom, Paramount. It's all a big, uh, big mess. But uh, Not for long, you know, could they? That's right. We're getting back together. Family's getting back together, guys. Yeah. But <laughs> could they take old scripts? Like that would be great. It's a like, why don't marriage. they just like? <laughs> 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 why don't they just take all these old scripts and turn them into? Comic books, graphic novels, photo novels, like John Burns' photo novels. Those are I love those. You know, take some pictures and screenshots, and you know, manipulate them into these episodes. I think that'd be great. You know, because for for a franchise that runs as long as Star Trek, you have fifty plus years. It's uh, it's hard to come up with fresh takes on stuff. You know, so when you have stuff, you know, of the era, that kind of gives it an extra gleam of interest to be like, oh, this is from the sixties, is of the time. You know, the creators why they were making the show. There's a different flavor of that kind of stuff. And like, oh, hey. Here's another adventure we thought of, you know, 65 <laughs> years later or whatever. Uh, so th- that's a that's a great resource. I don't know what the legality of it all is, but uh, if they just I, every single one of these episodes we talked about of you know interests me to various degrees. Uh, this episode and the last two we did, Ken. So I uh, I would you just are you listening IDW? Just come out with some graphic novel of the lost episodes and just give us all these. That'd be great to see. Yeah. Or if they don't want to do it, they can come back and the team from Standard Orbit will write this thing out for you. <laughs> yes. Well, talking about lost episodes of the original series isn't the only thing we've been doing on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at what else you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, the 602 Club. And it really speaks to, to me, Halliday's ego even of I'm going to make everyone love what I love. And then that's how they'll win the contest, you know, and, and it's sad that it feels like it all became that what you're saying, Matt, of it, everyone not even having um, the creativity to have their own stuff anymore. It's all about what Halliday was interested in. Um, and, and then I think, too, it really also could be even a commentary about greed in society now that everything really revolved around wanting to get his and you know his fortune so they did all the research they had to do because they just wanted the money warp five wait hold on you don't you don't have a uh a, a reflection there's beams of light traversing the ship cutting you mm. and my lack of logic is what's astounding here yeah because you made an assumption based on zero evidence Except for the fact that they just melted. Yeah, the three we that we've seen, we don't that know that what the rest of them are doing. This is we the first one we don't know if it was anymore. Okay, let's scan the melting. Meta Trex. And, what? And, and do it all over again. Are you again. bad-mouthing Voyager <laughs> to a guy who hosts a Voyager <laughs> podcast? <laughs> you know I am. I, I always love to rib you about Voyager, but... They they really kind of play that card in this episode. They they hit that magic reset button. So T- take that, you deep space nine loving Voyager <laughs> hating reset button obsessing fans. There's a reset button right here in this episode of Deep yeah. Space Nine. <laughs> Literary treks. But that was also like one of the core ideas of the story before I even knew much about how it was going to develop. 
was this notion that we could find something to explore that would allow different groups of people to come together to explore it than we're used to seeing. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and a written review. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link as well. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash TrekFM to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month, so we really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We also want to thank very, very much our, our esteemed associate producers, Norman C. Lau, Nicholas Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Richard Marquez, Corey Elrod, and Dan Rhodes. So Norm, Nick, Tim, Richard, Corey, and Dan, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. It means as much as we can, compl- can possibly tell you uh, the world to us that, that you've agreed to sign on and help keep Standard Orbit alive and well. Yes, thank you so much, guys. We really do appreciate all your contributions. So we'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm contact. Choose to send to a show and select Standard Orbit. That will come right to us. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. As for us personally... You can find me on Twitter at MoronZach, that's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. And I'm also the host of my own show called Always Hold On to Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that young Superman show. You can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. What about you, Ken? Hey, you can find me on Twitter as well at BostonSCPO, stands for at Boston Senior Chief Petty Officer. And I'm also on the Babel Conference whenever I can be engaging and trying to add, you know, a lot of good provocative suggestions to our other shows but anyway we look forward to seeing you on the babel conference and responding back and forth on this show as well all right well that's going to do it for us this week but stay tuned next time for another edition of standard orbit Mm -hmm.